It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, I'm Mark Schwarzer and welcome to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Phil Kittremelides and a man I'm not particularly happy about at the moment, um, <laughs> Julian Laurent. Um, Why? Well... I mean, can you think about it? Can you think why I might not be happy with you? Is it something to do with Australia? Australian yes. Football? Yes. Okay. Yes. You wore a shirt. I wore a shirt. You wore a shirt. <laughs> South Korea, after they beat Australia, and knocked us out of the Asian Cup. What is going on, Jules? What? I mean, is this revenge because no. we knocked you out of the World Cup, the Women's World Cup? Is that what it is? Okay, maybe there's a bit of that. I mean, you. Sh- I mean, that penalty shooter still gives me nightmares uh, at night. No, to be fair, I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't like upsetting you. I. I didn't think. To be fair, I didn't think about it. I had the shirts ready before. Like today, I've got uh, Sporting Portugal, which is a lovely yeah. one for for today. Uh, but I should have. I should have thought uh, about your feelings. That, that was a very like dad like start. <laughs> like I want you to think about what you've done. Yes, you exactly. Go, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just didn't well, think. I'm it's, sorry. it's almost like that, isn't it? I mean, the age gap yeah. and everything else. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's. Well, let's move right along. Let's move straight on to the Premier League. We're going to talk about Manchester United against Fulham. Obviously, it ended up Fulham winning. I think the first time in over 20 years at Old Trafford, two-one, um, which was a, a remarkable scoreline in one way. Um, remarkable victory, but in terms of performance and the way that the game flowed, I think it was a pretty fair result, Phil. It was a very fair result and it wasn't necessarily that unexpected. I mean, yeah, United had been on a a good run of form, but this is not a United side that inspires uh, confidence. It is not a United side that has been consistent uh, throughout this uh, season and you know that they're capable of these kind of performances in any given game. So, Ten Hag after the game saying, you know, look at the bigger picture, look at the bigger picture. Well, what is the bigger picture? Because if you actually look at the bigger picture, it might not look very good for you, mate, because there's uh, a new uh, minority stakeholder who's come in and is possibly wanting to uh, change things up. You've got a very expensive, underachieving squad. Uh, You've got a team that just cannot uh, build any kind of momentum and consistency. So I don't know if the bigger picture looks particularly good for United and, and Ten Hag. And it was just another uh, really disappointing showing. And get credit to Fulham as well. And if we talk about injuries, and I'm sure United fans might say, you know, oh, we had players missing through injury and Hoyland is a big loss. A lot of teams have got injuries. And Fulham had some really important players out missing as well. You know, three of their most important players out missing. You know, no William, no Paul, um, uh, uh, Paulinha and, and Raul Jimenez. So they, they had some key players missing as well. And yet they still managed to put in a really good performance at Old Trafford. So I don't know how many times we've said this, Schwartzy, on the, on the, on the pod this season. After United have pulled out a win late on. Could this be a uh, could this kickstart United season? Could this be a catalyst for United season? You're not asking me again that because we know it's not because it can't just be every time they get a little uh, last minute win or they go on a small run. Can they kick on? No, they can't kick on. I think this is their level. 
They are the sixth best team at the moment in the Premier League. You look at the teams above them, who's got a much worse squad than them? Who's got a worse manager than them? I don't think any of them. So I think they're more or less, broadly speaking, where they should be in the table at the moment. Jules, what, I mean, we talk about, I mean, Phil just mentioned there about a new, a new ownership or partly ownership. What needs to change for Manchester United to change? Is it off the field? Is it that ownership thing that's happened? Or is there more to it? I think there's a lot of things, really, starting with the, the, the ownership or the structure of the ownership. And I think the Radcliffe arrival is really good news. One, because he's clearly not there for the same reason as the Glazers in, in terms of this is his club. He, he's made enough money, as he said himself, in his, in his business life that he just wants United for, for them to win. Not, not to make him richer or more money to him, but just for, to see his, his boyhood team winning, really, uh, which is a very different mindset than the Glazers who are only there for the money. We know that by now. So that's good. I agree with everything Phil said. And I wonder if the other needs, the other changes that need to happen are one on the bench. I'm not sure about Ten Hag still, still now. The thing that I, I struggle the most with, if I was a United fan, I would feel like he's lying to me because after the game, he said, we deserve to win. We mm. were the better team. But no, you were not. Everybody could see you were not. And actually, when Maguire scored that 89th minute goal to make it 1-1, Ten Hag should have said to his players, We've been lucky already to be, to have a draw now to get a point from this game. Let's make sure we don't concede. Don't try to go and win it now because, because we can't really. We're not good enough in this game. So let's make sure that we get the draw and that's it. It won't be a great result, but it won't be as bad as losing. And what do they do? They go all over the place. Everybody was going forward. It was an absolute shambles of the last six, seven minutes of the game. And they concede on a counter. And that's it. And I'm just like, one Ten Hag in a way, He's not telling the truth by saying that they were the better team they deserve to win because this is not true. Everybody knows it, including his own players and his own fans. And two, I feel like his management of the last 10 minutes of the game, let's say, was really poor because he should have been lucky to be to get a draw and should have said to his players, let's just sit deep now, make sure that we, cons- that we keep that 1-1 draw and that's it. And instead, it was all over the place. I mean, it's kind of mixed messages, right? Because Harry Maguire goes and scores the equaliser and then goes off celebrating rather than grabbing the ball and, and running back to the halfway line. So there was kind of a mixed message in terms of almost like a belief or, or a satisfaction they've got back in the game. They've, they've, they've equalized, but not really with the belief to go and win it. But then they go and push all these players forward and expose themselves. And you can't do that when you've got Adama Traore come on the pitch, can you? I mean, Phil, he is an absolute, like, a train. I mean, he's been out injured for most of the season. He is, he's got that. It's so well known. You can't give him any space on the ball whatsoever. And he did what he was specifically brought on to do. I mean, that's why, that's why Marco Silva brought him on to do that. And he did it. And, um, yeah, look, he's not, he's, uh, had a, a season that's been uh, disrupted through injuries. And I think, um, this is maybe, maybe the first really meaningful thing that he's done, uh, so far this season. But yeah, I mean, United should know that. They should know that. And I mean, what do you think, Schwartz? I mean, we've spoken so much about United this season and we still don't really know what to expect from this team. We still don't really know how they should be playing. We, we, it just fills us with, with questions like every single week. And I said they're sixth in the table and that's where they should be. Do you think that's where they, they should be? Should they be higher? No, I don't think they should be higher at all. And I think you're right. Um, <clears throat> this was a golden opportunity for them because they've been on a, on a decent run. This was an opportunity for them to continue that momentum. And almost send out a marker there and go, right, okay, we're going to put pressure on the likes of Villa. You know, let's see how you're going to handle this for the remainder of the season. Obviously, that didn't work for them. 
and then there are some positives. Look, Anana is starting to deliver. He's starting to perform better each week. So that there mm. is that positive. I mean, the other one that I, I mean, I was just reading about again on the weekend. I kind of almost forgot about him was Anthony. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I was never, I, I never thought he was a, a, an eighty million, million pound player when they first bought him. Um, but it, it seems like the writing's on the wall for him as well, Jules. Yeah, I mean, there's no way back from really, in a way, her humiliation. Because what happened Saturday, on his birthday, by the way, that was his 24th birthday on Saturday, to have been humiliated like that by someone in Ten Hag who pushed and was, did everything he could to sign you, spend all that money on you, someone who worked with you before, who got you to play at a really good level at Ajax. And Anthony, that season, the last season before he moved to United, was a really good player, we have to be honest here to first start that young Forson who had never started for United uh, in the position of Anthony on the right wing. Then when Forson came off early, just before the hour mark, Garnacho moved from left to right, still no Anthony. Then Bruno Fernandes moved to the right, still no Anthony. Then Ahmad Diallo came on, still no Anthony. And then he brought him on in the 98th minute. He played 55 seconds, touched the ball once. I mean... Again, I just don't think this, there's a more a bigger humiliation than this. And again, I don't think Anthony, whose confidence was already low, I just don't think there's a way back for him personally to recover from this. And him and his relationship with Ten Hag, surely he's gone now. Um, the other thing I just want to touch on is Casemiro swapping his shirt at halftime with Munez. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. I, I, I'm, I'm almost, I believe that sort of stuff should happen after the game. I, I don't think that should be happening at halftime. I know it's sometimes it's like a split second, change your shirt, off you go. I don't know. I mean, I've seen it time and time again. I had teammates who did it. Me personally, if I'd ever were asked, which very rarely ever happened in that terms at halftime, but I would have always, I always did say when it happened once or twice, now I'll do it after the game. I, I, I wouldn't do it at halftime. You know, I, I think... I've got no issues with if if Munoz no, were approaching yeah. Casemiro, but yeah. do it do it when the cameras can't see it. So wait until you go into Absolutely. the tunnel. I agree. Into the tunnel. It could be half time, but do it then. Don't do it on the pitch like that because it does look like a little bit like a charity match. And at half time, you meet your your mate and you play against each other and you say, "Yeah, let's swap the shirt." It doesn't really look that professional, but. In, if nobody sees it, it's fine. You can do it at halftime. I don't think it changes dynamic. However, it's not the best of look when everybody sees that Munoz is going to Casemiro in a game like this, at this level, and say like, oh, all I've been thinking of in this first half was not so much the game and playing football. It was just that I can get your shirt at halftime before anybody else from my team is asking you for your shirt. Arsenal played Newcastle on the weekend and 1-4-1. Arguably, and I think you've got a really good... Uh, uh, discussion point or, or certainly ground to say that Arsenal out of the top three teams are performing the best and are at their best at the moment. Is that fair to say that, Phil, out of the top three? Yeah, much as it pains me to say, as uh, regular <laughs> listeners to the podcast will know. Come, by, uh, that's why I thought I'd come to you yeah. straight away. Yeah, no, my allegiances are with the other team in uh, in North London, but obviously I, I try to maintain uh, professional uh, impartiality uh, on the <laughs> podcast. And yeah, man, Arsenal are the best team in the in the Premier League at the moment, certainly in terms of entertainment, in terms of the way that they play. The goal scoring is really quite ridiculous the amount of goals that they've scored um 25 goals in six games this year they beat liverpool and newcastle in the current run out of those six games as well 
So I went back and I looked at the first six games uh, of uh, 2023 and uh, they won two, drew two and lost two. And they scored seven goals uh, in that period. Obviously, okay, different year, different fixtures as well. Um, they, they played Newcastle, Spurs, United, Everton, Brentford and City in the first six of the uh, previous year. And this year they played Palace, Forest, Liverpool, West Ham, Burnley and Newcastle. So maybe um, slightly easier games uh, this season. But still, um, I think it just speaks of an Arsenal side that have taken a step up from, from last year. And it's not just that they're scoring goals, which they are, 25 goals. But if you look at that, 25 goals uh, in the last six games from 10 different scorers as well. And everybody's been going on about, oh, you know, they don't have a, a true centre forward. And I've mentioned my highly negative Arsenal mates on the podcast almost every week who keep going on about <laughs> not having a centre forward. But really, if you've got 10 different scorers in that run, that's really impressive. And actually, I went and looked at the, the top six and who's got the most different scorers uh, in their squad. Arsenal have had 15 players score this season in the Premier League. It's more than anyone else in the top six. Liverpool have had four. 14, uh, United and Spurs have had 13 and City and Villa have had 12. So they've got goals from all over the pitch and they've got these set-piece goals as well, which we saw two more against Newcastle, which is something they worked on again. So they're not just scoring goals from open play. They're very dangerous from set-pieces. And finally, um, this is the longest I've ever talked positively about art before, <laughs> I think, in my life. Keep but going, finally, keep going. No, keep going. It's very good. I'm going to talk about one of, um, one of your lot, uh, Jules, because they've got the best defensive record in the Premier League as well. And Saliba is the player with the most minutes played in the Premier League this season of every single player. That's including goalkeepers as well. He's played 2,340 minutes. And last season... I'm not saying their title challenge fell away when he got injured, but their mm. title challenge kind of fell away when he got injured. Yeah. He's been an absolute rock this season defensively as well. And um, they're looking really, really good. So their title defense or title uh, chances did fall away when he got injured last season. I know you're not saying it, but you did say it. Like, I'm just kinda, saying. Kind of, kind of. No, I mean, you did you know, say it. No, you did say help. it. Not that you kind of said it, you did say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Maybe think yeah, what yeah. Phil said as well is that Arsenal are going to win the title and that he's going to be celebrating on, uh, you uh, know, on his in Islington streets. I've never <laughs> seen him so excited about any of his teams. You know, <laughs> like honestly, when he's talking about how well they're performing, I've never. I mean, when we talk about Spurs, we used to we used to talk about it regularly, um, but yeah, surprisingly, uh, Jules, do you do you see them as? Um, are they there for, for the remainder of the season? Is it like, because, you know, we, we've talked the last couple of years, Arsenal have fallen away. They've hit road bumps and they've fallen away. Are they staying this season? Uh, yeah, I think I really think that that title race, which is the most exciting in, in Europe, to be fair, uh, will, will, will go to the wire. And I think all three of them will push each other, will compete. I think they will all drop points at some point. None of them will, will win every single game. And by the way, City still have to play Liverpool and Arsenal, so they can't all win all their games. So the points will be dropped there and there some, at some point between now and so in the, in the next 12 games, the, the remaining 12 games of the season. But yeah, I think it will, it will go down to the wire. Could it go to goal difference? I'm not so sure. Right now, we have to say that because of the last six games for Arsenal, they made up the, the deficit in terms of goal difference. And now them and Liverpool are six clear of City. Again, with 12 games to go, I'm not sure how important that is. But still, it's a fact. So I think they have the momentum. But we saw against Porto in the Champions League that the times where, especially against a very well-organized, well-structured defensively team, they could struggle maybe a little bit more. And if their key players don't step up, a Saka or the guard, someone like that, and if set pieces in, in that game is not working, 
then they struggle. And Porto, I think, was a really good reminder that you can score as many and you can beat West Ham and Liverpool and Newcastle. It's still not always a guarantee that you're going to sweep everybody. So they will have games like the Porto one, even in the league, for sure. But it would be then those moments where your key players have to step up. There's a big debate here in England. I mean, not so much now, but Rio Ferdinand said that Bukayo Saka was not world-class. He said he's a really good player, but right now he's not world-class. And I don't, I don't think we need to go over long, but it's a very interesting debate. Some people will think that Saka is world-class, even amongst us three. Others don't. Maybe he's just not there yet, but he's getting closer and closer. The way I see it is that Porto was a really good test in a way for that. If your team is not really working collectively, so the fluidity is not there, you're not creating as many chances, maybe the movement is not, which can happen in any games to any team. That's when I think your world-class players step up. And I think we saw against Porto for Saka that in those kind of games, in the Champions League especially, which is all new to him, this is his first season that he's played in the Champions League, there's still something a little bit missing. He will get there, he's still very young, but I, I, I thought against Newcastle after his disappointment Against, against Porto and the same could be said for the whole team he bounced back so well because he was outstanding against Newcastle yeah because you can't argue with the stats right he's now scored in five consecutive Premier League goals um, and he's actually scored seven in total in those five games he's got 16 so far this season so I mean they are top top class and, and you're right it's, it's whether or not you class him as world class or whether it's just one of the best players in the Premier League and currently on form you're pretty hard to find anyone who's in better form than Saka in the Premier League. For- I, 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 Jules, you've brought me back down to earth. Thank you. I was getting carried away with my <laughs> Arsenal euphoria. But it's actually an interesting one. We don't need to go down the the world-class uh, debate route. But if you look at the goals that he scored uh, in, the, uh, in the Premier League, and it's 13 goals in the Premier League, he scored against Forest, Fulham, Spurs, Bournemouth, Wolves, Fulham, Forest, Liverpool, West Ham, Burnley and Newcastle. Um, it's against teams, shall we say, lower ranked rather than in the, uh, in, in the big... Okay, he scored against Liverpool. And there's and, a few and pens as well yeah. in there. There, there are uh, four pens in there as well. So, yeah, um, the numbers are, are good. But in terms of we're talking about the, the world-class elite status, maybe, yeah, maybe not quite there yet at the age of 22. Yeah. You know, if we come back in four or five years, we're, we're probably having a different conversation. I would like to say he's getting there. He's getting there. Yeah, he's, I you know, I, I think it's hard to say that he's world-class right at this moment in time, but he's certainly getting there. He's well on his way. Newcastle, on the other hand, ninth in the league. Obviously, they've kind of hit a wall, haven't they? I mean, their last season was remarkable. Got to the Champions League. Really, really tough group. Um, and they seem to be suffering, and they can't get back into a rhythm, uh, Jules. They, they seem to really be struggling right now. Yeah, sorry. I was, I was um, looking at... Kitro, who almost choked himself by drinking his uh, bottle of water. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the shows I did with you guys, we talked about Eddie Howe and the, the lack of plan B in a way. We, we know how good they were last season because of the intensity they put in games and the incredible physical uh, ability that they have. And they, they're such a physical team. Not, I, don't, I don't mean like a, in a dirty way. I just mean uh, the way they run and they win all the jewels and they win all the second balls and they're always there. And, and then because they also have talented players, if you add the intensity and the physicality to a Gordon, a Isak, Almiron, Bruno Gimraes, all of that, it's a, it's a winning recipe because you've got pretty much every aspect covered. You're good on the ball. You're good out, you're good out of position because of that intensity and physicality. You press well. You run a lot. Defensively, you've got monsters at the back. So all great. The problem is if that intensity level drops a little bit, if the physicality level drops a bit, then what do you do? 
is the is the football side of your team good enough? Probably, but you haven't played like that really. You you played f- mostly first of all with the physicality, and then your ball your ball playing players were there and shining. And for me, this ninth season, which is really underwhelming, and yeah, I think the Champions League got a lot of the energy and pumped a lot of the energy. I understand that. And they had obviously all those injuries. I get it. But for me, it's a lot on Eddie Howe, really, for never having really found another way of playing by being less intense, less physical, but just make them play a little bit more. Because I think this is a team that can play much better football than anything we've seen from Newcastle this season. Are, are they are they at that level yet, though? That's the question, right? So I, I think they've done a remarkable job. Yes, they've got really, really rich owners, but they're staying within FFP. Yeah. which is what we want to see. I think their, their, their change in fortune and certainly the way they've played has been very, very good under Eddie Howe. The question is, at this level, like you said, Champions League, winning the title, is Eddie Howe the right person for that job? Just before Kitro goes, on the FFP, really interesting, they will have, they will have to sell. And I yeah. know, I know. Right now, it looks it's, they're not a Forest or Everton where they've been investigated by the Premier League, but they will have to sell in the summer. And I, I think one of their top, top players from, again, Gordon, Isak or Guimaraes, I think they're the three most valuable with Botman maybe. One of those four, unfortunately for, for them and their fans, will have to go. They spent £70 million on Tonali as well. And well, yeah, that, I mean, that's been a big killer for him, hasn't it, really? I think that has been. We may be sort of overlooking uh, how important he was supposed to be in this uh, Newcastle side. And, you know, a big yeah. player that is just unavailable now um, for extra curricular uh, reasons. So, yeah, I mean, I, I still do think that Eddie Howe is, is is the right person and I don't think that they're going to look to get rid of him because of this season. But yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been disappointing. It's been underwhelming and it's going to be interesting to see how this huge Newcastle project bounces back from a dose of reality, which this season undoubtedly is proving to be. I, I think something that they've shown throughout since they've taken over the new owners is patience. They've had patience and, and it's gone a lot quicker. I think, I think the transformation for Newcastle to get in the Champions League position accelerated, was far more accelerated than what they probably even hoped themselves. So we're kind of expecting so much more from them, but I think they're still on track. If, but if is, ninth, said, is ninth place on track? Towards no, it. but in terms of balancing it up, so from finishing in the top four last yeah. season to this season, what I'm, what I'm, saying, I'm saying on a balance over the course of the time since they've been in, in charge. I'm not saying, no, ninth for Newcastle and where they want to go is not good enough. But I think on balance, I think it's okay at this moment in time. Yeah, it's an interesting point. We will see where they finish, really. Again, there's 12 games to go. Yes. When you go from a top four finish, a League Cup final that you lost, but it was still a League Cup final to what we've seen so far this season. And I know the Champions League was incredible for them as much as it was a distraction for them as well. It was incredible. Okay, and in the end, they fell short. And I think psychologically, it was a, it was a quite a big knock for them. But ninth and nothing in the Cups, I, I don't know if... I don't know. Yeah. But I think it's a bit harsh, right, Jules? Because you, you you can't compare them like a Man United or an Arsenal. No, true, true. You know, so they're the teams that have year after year were, were either winning titles in that top four and then they drop out. That's a disaster. Yeah, so they're probably in between, right? Is that what you're saying? They're probably in between ninth yeah. and fourth. So they're probably yeah, at the moment. Six. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and look, the season's not finished and there's every chance they could finish a lot higher, right? So I, I think in perspective, putting things into perspective, I think they're okay where they are right now. Took four points off PSG in the Champions League. Oh, exactly. I knew that exactly. was coming. I did. I, I knew that was coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look but at where they are now. Look at where we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's Man City. 
were away at Bournemouth. Uh, I think it's Liverpool and Arsenal went to Bournemouth and won actually very, very comfortably. It wasn't comfortable for Man City, actually. I mean, Edison probably put in one of his best performances this season for Man City uh, over the course of the game. I thought he was outstanding. Um, Bournemouth put on a really good show, but Man City, and they just, they have enough every time, don't they, Phil? I mean, yes, yes, uh, they are getting results, but it doesn't, it just feels different to, to previous seasons. I don't know. And maybe that feels uh, silly me saying that because they're still winning. And when you go on to win a title, you need to get the results however you can. And City have a way of, of doing that. But it it does feel different. It does feel different to other seasons. I don't know. They don't seem to uh, be steamrollering sides. They don't have the swagger necessarily that we've seen in, in previous seasons and I went and looked back it's back-to-back 1-0 wins uh, in the Premier League you know the last time they won back-to-back matches 1-0 in the Premier League it was five years ago um yeah. this is it, it's not it's not normal for them to sort of be scraping past and okay against Brentford they had chances to win more than 1-0 and then Haaland scored uh, in the end and here Phil Foden, uh, who's been sensational, uh, scoring the only goal of the game. Haaland missing some really big chances as well. And he's missed more big chances than anyone else in the Premier League this season, even more than than Darwin Nunez. I mean, he's also scored more goals than anyone else and gets more chances than anyone else. But yeah, he just doesn't feel like the clinical cyborg that we saw last season. So I'm not I'm not saying that Manchester City aren't going to win the Premier League and I'm not saying that they aren't going to win every game from now until the end of the season. But I was questioning that narrative uh, last week and I think maybe the week before as well that people just said, oh, City will just go on a run now, they'll win every game. And I just don't think it's as clear cut as that, even though I'm sitting there talking about them after they've won <laughs> you know, back-to-back games. But it just doesn't feel as convincing as previous seasons. It, it never is clear cut, but when you've got the likes... Uh, of the squad that Manchester City have and the experience and Pep Guardiola as a manager, you feel that that's always a possibility, right? And and yeah. let's be honest, Haaland, yes. In terms of Haaland's, we're talking about Haaland and the level that he we're used to seeing him play each week, he's having a bad run. But <laughs> it's still Haaland. And I just don't see Haaland going on for the remainder of a season playing like he is right now, Jules, do you? <laughs> he's still the top scorer. Yeah. And what I'm saying, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he's still the top scorer. I mean, obviously... He missed a few chances. I mean, he seems to be missing more chances than he did last season. And again... But he was injured, right? He was injured. He's come back. back. It's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, exactly. There was a bit of rustiness maybe or just getting match fit simply. And again, I think, you know, when you play against Everton and the centre-backs that they have, when you play Brentford against the centre-backs. So, you know, it would be a very physical battle. And when you've been out for two months, that's the side of your game that really you're missing. You know, the the fitness, the the rest, you don't lose... Technically, you don't lose. Tactically, you don't lose anything else. So he would come back. And also, maybe that last season was just as amazing as he is. Was just like it's hard to do another season like that, kind of back to back. You know, we've we've been used to Harry Kane, and Harry Kane would score thirty goals every season, but not fifty-five in fifty <laughs> games or something like that. And you can do it once. I'm not sure how often you can do it unless you're. Cristiano or Messi and that kind of guys, which Haaland is not just at that level yet. So, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see where he finishes the season. Again, he's got 12 games. He can well score 20 in 12. He can also score 12 in 12. He could score 8 in 12. I don't know. And then I think then it would be time to analyse the season with the injury, with the form, with the big chances missed, with his XG, for example, which right now is pretty much where he should be. So it's okay, okay-ish. 
But knowing him a bit, I think he's quite disappointed with himself right now. In the last few games, he hasn't been, I think, at the level in terms of goal scoring that he wanted to be. Phil Foden is probably in the form of his career. Nine goals and seven assists just in the Premier League alone. 15 goals and 10 assists in all comp for Manchester City. So a Manchester City side that is kind of uh, not firing on all cylinders, but Phil Foden is. And how good a player do you rate him, Jules? I think outstanding. The, for me, the most interesting thing about Phil Foden, we know how good he's, he's been for years now. So this is not, I don't think the debate is how good he is. The debate is, is for me, it's between him and KDB now. I just don't think you can get the best out of Foden if you play him in a different position than centrally and you can't play KDB anywhere else. Can you play them both centrally? Yes, but we saw when KDB came back that it's not really... It's not working that great. Yeah, okay, Foden scored three against uh, uh, Brentford away, but he was playing wide and then was in the right position at the right time. I think, so, so I think we'll get to a point for Guardiola and City where there will be a case of if we want the best field Foden, this is without KDB. If you want KDB in the team, you'll have to put Foden wide or somewhere else, which won't get the best out of him like we see centrally. And I think they will have to make choices. And I even wondered at the weekend if KDB being on the bench for that long was maybe he's not fully fit. And okay, fair enough. If he's not, if he can only play five minutes or it's simply because Foden is keeping him out of the team. I mean, it's talked that he had a, a bit of a, a niggle with yes, his hamstring, true. right? So, so that's why he didn't play. And there's also a lot of rumors, a lot of talk now in the press about potentially Saudi Arabia. Can you see that, Phil? Can you see... I mean, Man City, Man City are not afraid to sell players. They're not afraid to let players go, right? Can you see no. someone like KDB move on in the summer? That would feel really quite jarring to see Kevin De Bruyne move to Saudi Arabia at the age of 32, being the player that he is. I'm not saying it won't happen, but it would feel like something that shouldn't happen. And yeah, you're, you're right. City aren't afraid to sell players and they tend to sell players well. And by that, I mean, they get money, they get rid of them at the right time and they move them on and they have people to to replace them. And if you're thinking that you've got Phil Foden, age 23, to come into this position and get the best out of him, that it wouldn't be a huge loss from City's perspective. It, it could make sense from a football fan's perspective watching it. If Kevin De Bruyne went to Saudi Arabia this summer, it would be difficult to <laughs> understand and, and, and swallow, I think. Uh, Jules, can you see it? I, I can't really. I can't see it. I just don't think... I think he would much rather go back to Belgium, for example, where he all started to finish his career. I'm not he's sure. only 32. He's only 32. Well, Why are we talking about finishing? June. No, but... Yeah. Be, yeah, but... but I mean, he's closer to the end than, than the beginning, right? So at some point... He is, but players are still continuing on to a higher level. Yeah, you know, I mean... Yeah, true, true. I'm yeah, not sure yeah. KDB with his... The way he plays can play until yeah. 38. I won't lie. Yeah. Unless yeah, he plays yeah. in a in a like secondary league like Belgium, but, maybe. But he's got the ability, right, to do a Modric, right? He's got the ability to be a little bit deeper and maybe True. limit his runs. He's got he's got the passing ability. He, he's comfortable on the ball. If he modifies his game a little bit, he could easily do that job. Yeah, that's right? a good point. I, I think. Yeah, that's a really good point. You're right. Um, Liverpool, Liverpool obviously went in action this weekend in terms of the Premier League, but they played in the League Cup, which they beat Chelsea in. The problem for Liverpool is the number of injuries that they're getting and like massive, massive injuries. You see what team they finished with. Obviously, that is a team that started that was a good side. But now they've got Gravenberch and Endo left the stadium on crutches. Um, 
are we? I mean, is this going to hurt Liverpool, Jules? Yeah, I, undoubtedly. I mean, they play Southampton in the FA Cup in midweek, which the kids will play. The kids that we saw finishing the League Cup final will play, will start simply because there's just nobody else. I mean, soon Schwarzy, they'll be on the phone to you to come in and play <laughs> as a centre-back. No, no, no. Keller, Kelleher was absolutely outstanding. Was I'm outstanding. a big, big fan of his. And he needs to go and play somewhere regularly if he's not going to play at Liverpool. And no, I he's not, is he? I, I, think... I just, I want to see him play elsewhere because I think he's that good. Or, or you realize now that he's better than Allison, or soon will be better than Allison, yeah. and it's the time to change. But you're right; he's too good to be left. Which on the could bench happen, right? Longer. It could yeah, happen yeah. in the summer. In terms of, you know, if you talk about, which doesn't sound right, but if you talk about changing period, an opportunity to make some changes, it could be in the summer, right? Klopp leaves. Maybe some big name players will go because they just see it as an opportunity for a fresh start. I mean, Liverpool fans are going to go crazy in a second. But do you know what I'm saying, Phil? That that is a chance, right? Yeah, that's a chance. Are oh, you not happy about I'm, that? Are you not well, you not buying into that one? I'm not overly buying into that one. But no, no, listen, maybe, maybe it's, it's possible. But um, they're talking about Liverpool and the injuries, and I've been quite confident that Liverpool are going to get it done in terms of the Premier League this season, and that. Cup final at the weekend when the kids came on oh, and did really well. They, they were did good. Really well. They, they did were really very well. so good. It just feels like this season, when there have been injuries for Liverpool, they've been able to find solutions and loads of goals have been scored by substitutes from Liverpool this season. And I think the squad depth is is big. That said, producer Elliot was telling us just before we came on air, they have literally got a starting eleven a very high quality yeah. starting level of players out. So the, the, the this injury uh, crisis is getting to ridiculous levels. But at the moment, they've been able to deal with it. But, but we saw on the weekend as well, at the final whistle, two of those starting 11 that we're seeing in the stands didn't look too in, injured, did they? Darwin Nunes, I tell you what, I don't think I've ever seen him run that quickly off <laughs> out of the stand. How he didn't actually injure himself again. Did you yeah. see that, Jules? The, like yeah. the, the, I, was... I mean, it was absolutely crazy. And obviously, Slobberslay as well. And Jurgen Klopp did mention something in his post-match interview about the fact that he was told they weren't fit enough, but Jesus Christ. I mean, maybe they need to do cross country, steeplechase or something <laughs> like that, because they look fit for that, that's for sure. Yeah. At uh, Schwartzy, there was no WSL this weekend, uh, but you must have been pleased to see the Matildas, because they got one foot in the Olympics now with that 3 0 win over Uzbekistan. I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit concerned, 0 0 at half time, and <laughs> just thought, oh no, come on, come on, don't, don't. On paper, this is a, not a whitewash, but this is, this is a comfortable. Comfortable. Look, we knocked France aside in the World Cup, so oh, we should be beating Uzbekistan. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, no, I look delighted. delighted. I, I think it's a great result. Even more so when you look at the other fixture, which was North Korea against Japan. They drew nil-nil. I know in North Korea you end up playing on artificial pitches and it's really, really tough place to go because the Socceroos have played there before. So, yes. Yeah, so, um, I, I think it's a great result. And I'm ever so confident now that they'll get the job done and, and be at the Olympics in your home city, Jules. Yeah, we, can, we can knock you out in the Olympic tournament, which would be lovely. I'll be there as well. I hope you come over for that. You can hope, mate. You can hope that you can knock us out. Um, and look, I mean, the, look, France are a good side. Let's be honest. They are a very, very good side. And it was a, it was a great game, the semifinal, uh, sorry, the quarterfinals yeah. of the World Cup. Um, so the Olympics, again, equally Great tournament for women's football, and it's going to be really, really exciting to see it. Question I want to ask you, though, Jules, are you doing the Euros as well? Yes, I am. Oh, my God, what a yeah, summer you're believe, having, by the way. If you're, too, like a, yeah. if you're a sports fan, right, <laughs> Euros and Olympics. Phil, 
I'm doing the double as well. Yeah, yeah. You're doing the double. What? what yeah. Hang on. How do I get on this gig? <laughs> I'm only doing the Euros. Where, how do, can I? Can I get it? Come along as well? Yeah, surely we yeah. can find a space for you somewhere. Yeah, there's there's, there's going to be loads of uh, free yeah. uh, accommodation space in Paris with the Olympics. And yeah, also, it's going to be looking, easy to find. Yeah, somewhere. we're looking for someone yeah. who can do badminton uh, coverage. And uh, Schwarzy, I, I bet I, you know a lot. I will do anything. I will do anything <laughs> to get to the Olympics. I've never been. I'd like to go. I I, I watched two events at the London Olympics in 2012 because I was in the city. But other than that, I've, that's the I, only time I've ever been anywhere near an Olympic Games. I actually. <laughs> Had to commentate some badminton at the last. <laughs> <laughs> we need and to find this tape. We need to find this tape. I was I was on Wikipedia five minutes before, like checking the rules and everything. So yeah, I'm not a badminton expert. Did yeah, you get asked back? No. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going. I'm not, hopefully not to not do badminton. badminton. Like I do. I'm doing. I'm doing football. But um, when you go there, you have to have an eye on. You know, be able to jump in and help out if a commentator goes oh, down. So, I just so um, hope you get badminton again. Oh, that'd be. Absolutely... I did. I did. I did badminton. I did and triple fencing. jump. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fencing. Yeah, fencing as well. That'd be great. Ooh, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Shooting. And tennis as well. The shooting. Yeah, no. Oh, no, shooting. <laughs> Can't wait. Coming up next, we'll be chatting La Liga. But first, here's a taste of what we've got coming up on Optus Sport. The title race is on a knife's edge in the Women's Super League. And she's done it! City and Chelsea equal top, Arsenal just three points behind. Next Saturday night, can City make it nine wins in a row? They take on Everton. Sunday night, the Aussie North London derby. Charlie Grant and Spurs take on the Aussies at Arsenal. Monday, Gorries West Ham host Manchester United. And can Chelsea bounce back from their loss to City? They head to Leicester. That's next week on the Women's Super League. Uh, La Liga that was on this weekend, of course, Real Madrid at home to Sevilla. Phil, you've mentioned it before, uh, Real Madrid TV, about the pressure they put on match officials. Tell us what happened on the week, like leading up to this game. Well, uh, Real Madrid TV have decided to change their editorial line in the last few years. And uh, now before every game, they produce a video uh, on the match official for that particular game, highlighting uh, decisions that he has taken, which have gone against Real Madrid in previous matches. It is something that has caused uh, quite a lot of controversy here in Spain. It is a practice that not that many people are in favour of, to be honest. You speak to your average Real Madrid fan and they're like, why are we doing these videos? And the thing is, I know everybody complains about referees. Managers complain about referees after the game. Uh, players say, you know, this didn't go our way. But Real Madrid TV are doing this video before the game. And they're doing the video with the implication that somehow the referee has got it in for Real Madrid, is against Real Madrid, consistently takes decisions that are not in favour of Real Madrid. So what Sevilla did before this game, uh, they've actually put an official complaint um, to uh, La Liga about these uh, videos. I'm not sure it's going to come to anything, but they felt by the video that was produced on Friday uh, ahead of the uh, the weekend game. They felt, no, this is not fair. This is conditioning how the referee is going to approach the game. And they've made an official complaint. Like I said, I don't think too much is going to, is going to come of it. But it's, it's like an aggressive tactic from Real Madrid's uh, marketing uh, arm, which Real Madrid TV is part of. It is a marketing tool to get across the club's message, like a club website, like a club social media channel. The TV channel is the same. And... Um, yeah, I think they're going to keep doing it. They're, they're, they're pretty happy to, to, to keep producing these uh, uh, these videos. As it goes, the uh, 
the referee ruled out ruled out a goal against Real Madrid for um, a foul in the build-up in the first half, uh, which um, <clears throat> may or may not uh, build into the uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, but, but he yeah, got substituted, it, right? He got substituted in the second half. It was quite... It was quite surreal. I've never actually seen a referee go off injured. He was. I have. He was yeah, I have. Injured. I've seen it before. Yeah. yeah, I've seen it before as well. Yeah, yeah. Not in that league. I, felt, I didn't like Jules. I felt bad for him because yeah. I was there in the stadium. There were seventy five thousand people looking at him. Going, "What are you doing? Why? What are you going to be? You got injured." <laughs> so we had to wait for the next referee to come on, and it was all a bit of a faff. And then the next referee came on, and he was a bit more sort of permissive and let the game flow a little bit more. You, you, um, and, you, and you said, yeah, you said you were at the stadium, and uh, you also heard very much how Sergio Ramos received uh, uh kind yeah. of like his reception at the stadium what was that like so i don't i mean you know i like to go to games to uh, to watch matches every now and then i just think mm. i just think you get a better perspective in the stadium you know and um, it's <laughs> it's really important to go that's only a even new if thing, not, right even if you're not covering <laughs> the game i think it's important to go to the stadium Swartzy, you know just that's a new thing for future. you isn't it because like, you're pretty new to this that's why you're you're like you're, you're you're buzzing about it like i've been to many games where i've actually never been a support like never been working Kind of ish. Yeah, not in the last five or six years. But yeah, no, so definitely. anyway, I went there and I went there to see what the reception was going to be like for Sergio Ramos because it was the first time he was going back to the Bernabeu um, as a Sevilla player against Real Madrid for 20 years. Um, and he got whistled. He got whistled by, it wasn't the majority of yeah. Real Madrid fans, that's true. It was, a, I would say, a small minority and, and whistles do carry quite loudly. So you only need a few people to be whistling for it to sound quite loudly. But yeah, every time he touched the ball, he, he got whistled and I was surprised. And we thought that there might be some kind of uh, homage paid to him before the game. We thought there might be a banner. We thought there might be a minute's applause in the fourth minute for his number number four. And there was none of that. Um, I think his name got cheered when it was read out on the Tannoy system before. Okay, fair enough. But then during the game, there were some people whistling and I was really, really surprised at that. I did not expect that at all. Made me, made me think as well, uh, Jules, uh, Kylian Mbappé. Obviously, 99.999% sure that he's going to Real Madrid. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. I wanted to ask the question, when he goes back and plays against PSG, will he get booed or whistled or screamed at? It's a good question. I mean, we don't know. We won't know until it happens. What we know What's your gut feeling? I don't know. Yesterday, for example, was the first home game at the Parc des Princes where since he announced his, he was leaving to go to Real Madrid. And... It was normal reception. It, there was no booing, no whistling, nothing. It, they just, when his name was announced, they clapped like, and they, they shouted his name like they always do. So it was not more, but it was certainly not less than usual. When he would come, whenever he comes back with a different shirt, whether it's a Real Madrid shirt or another shirt, I don't think it would be different. Again, he gave PSG and PSG fans seven great years. He broke, yeah. broke all the records. He went to a Champions League final. Yeah, but, yeah, but Ramos sure. did the same thing, right? So it doesn't make any but difference. I guess it changes like the way that you leave and yeah. Ramos left in a certain way that people didn't necessarily uh, agree with. And it was actually, there was quite a big contrast last night because Luka Modric scored the winning goal yes. uh, last night. Luka Modric is someone who has stayed at Real Madrid and he's signed one-year contract extensions every year for the last four or five years, which is what Sergio Ramos did not want to do. He was offered a one-year contract extension. He said, no, I'm Sergio Ramos. Give me two years at least. And the club said, no. And then he realized that he didn't get any other offers. And then he came back and said, all right, all right, I'll sign. And uh, Florentino Perez in big boss mode says, 
the offer has expired. <laughs> so he was, you know, that, that's how he left. Yeah. He didn't leave in the best way. So which is why I think Real Madrid fans, uh, some, some Real Madrid fans felt it necessary to whistle. So, so Jules on the Mbappé, um, I, I've seen you tweet some stuff. It's not, it's not done yet. It's, no, but it's agreed, yet. right? It's agreed yeah. verbally. Yeah, yeah. There's still a few things to sort out in the in the discussions, the contract. I mean, we can say it again. One is the Olympics again because he really wants to play because he's in part he's in France, uh, and this is really the, the the only opportunity he will have in his career to play in in home soil for the Olympics. But for Real Madrid, if you sign a player like him, who is your marquee signing? The Olympics are July 26th to, I mean, even slightly before for the football tournament to August 10th. It's not the right time and it's not FIFA dates either. So they're discussing that. And also image rights. And as Kitro knows, image rights at Real Madrid are very specific for everyone from Cristiano to Beckham to Ronaldo to Bellingham to Vinicius. It's 50-50. Kylian wants more than 50%. So to own his own image right, more than 50%. So this is also something, it's not something that is going to make the, 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 the contract fall through, but it's just something that needs a little bit of time to agree on different terms and different structures. Uh, Kylian Mbappe trying to go to the Olympics instead of going on Real Madrid's pre-season exactly. tour. Wow, that is not that is never going to happen, man. Yeah. They are going to say, you need to come on tour with us because you are going to make us a lot of money, so you've got to come. So how would that be taken if Kylian Mbappe does sign for Real Madrid and then opts not to go to the Paris Olympics. Will he also, how will, how will French public react to that? I mean, they, they won't really, because again, if your club doesn't want to release you, there's nothing you can do. And Thierry Henry has three players over 23 that he can pick. Griezmann wants to go, for example, with Atleti, let him go. I'm not so sure. Uh, I think someone like Lloris would love to go with LAFC. Let him, again, so... We go to the same discussion and Thierry had a big meeting recently with all the clubs in France, uh, Ligue 1 and Ligue 2, so first and second division, to say, listen, I know you don't have to release your players, but this is very important for French football in general. So let's try to have the, the, the most competitive team for, for men and women at the Olympics. But he knows it will be difficult and he might get to a point where Griezmann can't make it. Mbappe can't make it, Lloris can't make it, Saliba can't make it, Upamek. So all the players that he might want in his team none of them might be able to do it. So it's, it's a bit tricky. And to be fair, I understand it on one way and clubs have their rights. And like, like Phil said, his precision is very important for a lot of clubs. And also if you're a new signing, not just for marketing reasons, but to get to know your manager, your teammates, doing those friendly matches, it's important. You've, you've been there, Shorzy. So it's important. I get that. But it's also the Olympics and it's also a big tournament and a lot of players want to be involved in it. So... I don't know what the the answer is, really. I, I think Henri, all he needs to do is call a few mates and get a few mates in there. I mean, Zidane's free. Uh, Duchamp's <laughs> is free. Look, I mean, I think they can still do a job in midfield as well, yeah. those lot. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. A very exciting time, certainly with the Euros and, of course, which the Euros are live on Optus Sport um, and the Olympics afterwards, which will be what a, what a year of sport. Um, it's going to be amazing. And, of course, then when the new season starts for Liga, Mbappe, if he's at Real Madrid, the Premier League season, WSL, everything else that goes with it, fantastic. Really looking forward to it. Barcelona, um, most Just convincing one thing, win. Before we yep. move on, the Modric goal, incredible. Oh, the, yes. the, the, the shot and the curler, but for me, the first touch is what makes it so special because it's so difficult. The ball is spinning. It bounces just in front of him and yet the touch is perfect to set set him up then for the curler. And I'm, uh, yeah, I just wanted to 
Show me a bit of love. Uh, the, the thing about Modric, which really, really impresses me, is that there's so many things that impress me. But when he first mm. arrived at the club, the the level of criticism they kind of received for a player that wasn't perceived to be a Real Madrid Galactico because he didn't fit the image uh, was astounding. But the think- way he's actually taken it and developed it and owned it and dominated has been sensational, not only for Real Madrid, but also for, for Croatia. I think a lot of people didn't know where he played as well when he joined um, Real Madrid. So I think a lot of people were expecting him to come in and be a, be a number ten, play just off the uh, just off the striker, and that wasn't necessarily where uh, he wanted to play. He was actually voted the worst uh, summer signing on a poll on uh, the website Marker in uh, in 2012 by some very silly people who have been made to look very very silly uh, <laughs> subsequently. But yeah, that just gives you an idea like of the feeling towards him when he came. He's had to work hard to become a Real Madrid legend and now he is very much a, a Real Madrid legend and also after that goal it was quite telling the the um the celebration because everybody I mean he didn't yeah. start the game by the way he came on yes. as a substitute um everybody all the team came and celebrated with him and they sort of lifted him up onto the advertising hoardings and he stood up there a bit like with the Jude Bellingham celebration arms aloft cheering at the fans and that was kind of indicative of the players kind of rallying around him because I don't think he's happy with the role that he has at the moment uh, in the Real Madrid team. He is a squad player at the moment. There isn't a place for him in the first choice starting eleven, which is difficult for someone like Modric to accept. He's 38, he's going to be 39 in October. It's very difficult for someone of that age to be in the first choice starting eleven of a team as big as Real Madrid. I think he's having difficulties accepting that, and I think we might see him leave uh, in the summer. But yeah, he celebrated that goal pretty well. Because he, he also has a very contentious relationship with Carlo Ancelotti since that, because of that very reason, right? Yeah, yeah, there were suggestions that um, Modric is not happy with uh, with Ancelotti because he was told in the summer that he would still have an important role to play. He would still be in the first team, and that has not necessarily gone according to what he was uh, expecting. So, uh, but listen, he's an extraordinarily professional guy, Luka Modric. That's why he is at the top level still at the age of 38 and a half because he looks after himself, because he trains unbelievably hard and because he's got this ridiculous desire to to win and to succeed and to be at the top. And he's completely obsessed by football as well. He goes home, he watches football. He's like, he's someone who lives for football. He's not one of these footballers who goes home and, you know, plays PlayStation or something. He, he, he loves football. It's his life. And you can see that reflected. And that's how you've got to be if you want to be at the top level for so, so long, which is what he's done. Um, let's move on to Barcelona against Hatafe. It's the first performance from Barcelona under Xavi since he's announcing he's leaving the end of the season that you kind of go, right, that's what you kind of expect from Barcelona's side, Phil? Uh, it's been the best performance from Barcelona since, I think, the end of September uh, when they beat Real Betis 5-0. Uh, since then, we haven't seen them uh, win convincingly at all. Uh, we've barely seen them win any matches by more than a one-goal margin. Uh, I think, you know, the previous uh, week I was here talking about... Um, waiting to see a reaction from this Barcelona side. And Xavi has gone on, on and on and on since his decision uh, to leave in the summer, since he announced his decision. The results have actually been been pretty good. It's 12 points from 15. But the performances up until the weekend have not been good at all. And at every moment, he's tried to re-vindicate himself saying, oh, well, you see, I announced that I'm going and this has had a reaction and we're playing well and you know we're, we're picking up points. And it's been difficult to buy into that argument. Until this weekend, where we actually did see a reaction and they played well um, against Napoli in the Champions League. I don't want 
I don't want to be a downer, but Getafe made it very easy for them. They did not play well at all. They played with a really strange high line that wasn't worked well at all. And Barcelona could just pick them off with balls over the top. So it was a pretty comfortable afternoon at the office for Barcelona. But it's what, they've, it's what they needed and something that they haven't had for a very, very long time. We touched on it uh, last week about the fact that uh, Rayo obviously haven't been playing well and you, 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 you were quietly concerned about they may be getting relegated, but the fact is that the three teams down the bottom are so bad. Cardiff drew at home to Celta Vigo, which obviously is a big blow for their chances of staying up. Point difference is it's only three points though. But do you see those three teams, Cardiff, Granada, um, Almeria, the three that go down and doesn't yes. change? Yes, I think they are the three that are going down now. The thing is, um, Almeria are bottom of the table, right? They've got nine points. They haven't won they a haven't, single game yet. No. They haven't won a single game. They've played 26 matches this season. They haven't won a single game. They are on course to potentially be the worst team in the history of La Liga. And yet, I genuinely don't think they're the worst team in the division this season. Oh, they, actually, they drew 2-2 with Atletico Madrid uh, this weekend, which was a really good result for them. Luca Romero uh, on his debut scoring two goals uh, for them. And Atletico Madrid once again dropping points away from home, which has been a, a really massive problem for them uh, this season. But Almeria are a side that have... As they say in Spanish, they have football in them. They can play nice football. They can score goals. Um, they are an attractive team to watch. They are just their confidence is shot, and um, they are um, they are on course to uh, not win all season. And they've been so close against the big teams as well. They've been so close against Real Madrid, so close against Barcelona. They've drawn with Girona. They've drawn with Athletic Club. They're a team that that can that can play well. They just they just can't win. They just can't win. But they are. I'm not saying always watch Almeria. <laughs> But they are like an entertaining team, yeah. Uh, Real Sociedad, are they out of the chance, out of the, tie, the, the the hopes of finishing in Champions League? I mean, they've dropped off a little bit. Champions League performance as well wasn't great. But do you think they're out of the chances of finishing top, top four? Am I going to keep? Am I going to keep doing this? I, if, if we're talking about if we're talking about goals scored, then definitely don't always watch Real Sociedad because their problem have been have been scoring goals at home. And it should be a fortress, their, um, their, their, their home stadium, and it, and, it, and it isn't. But they scored two goals in their last five games. They went 567 minutes without scoring um, before uh, the previous week, and they won away at Mallorca. I think they're showing that they've been, um, the squad is too short to compete on mm. not just the Champions League, but they've got to the semi-finals of the Copa del Rey as well. And they've got a two-legged semi-final uh, coming up for them. And it's, it's, it's difficult for a, a young, young squad like theirs to compete on three fronts. And I think we're seeing that their, their form in the, uh, uh, in the La Liga has, has, has paid for that. But listen, they're in the semi-finals of the uh, of the champion of the um, Copa del Rey. They will probably make the final there. They will probably get knocked out uh, by PSG. But listen, Jules. I mean, we saw them play against PSG they last well. week. In the they played so well, didn't they? Yeah, I was there. I thought the first half was really good. They were the better team. The second half, I think, physically the intensity dropped, doesn't it? After an hour, anyway, the way they press. And then PSG were good, much better in the second half once Luis Enrique shouted in the dressing room at the players. But it's a shame because you you could tell this. Something missing, but not much really for them to be a, a top five contender. Right now, they're nine points behind Athletic Club for the fifth place, which should be a Champions League spot for Spain for next season if things go well in it for them in the current European campaigns. They're 12 points behind fourth, though that's so fourth is a bit too far. But the thing is, teams around them, like, I mean, teams around them are also doing well and, and, and playing well. So it might be a little bit tricky. 
Uh, Euros are four months away. Um, let, let's, I, w- I want to put you on the spot. None, it's not on the run sheet. I've just gone left field. I want to hear from both of you. Who are your, who's your favourite right now to win the Euros? He's gone left field, Jules. Go oh, yeah, on. You go first. Field. Okay, I go first. Um, so, I mean, France, of course. France, oh, yeah, obviously. You know, obviously. Um, but not, not outside South of... Korea, like you're going to wear a South Korean shirt again? No, or no. Like, I wear, I wear, uh, if France win the, the Euros, I wear Australian shirt for like two weeks or three weeks in a row. <laughs> promise? Um, yeah, I promise you. But okay, for me, good. England, this, this has to be England's tournament. This has to be, this is probably like, quite likely to be Southgate's last tournament. If you look at the key players in that team, from Bellingham to Foden to Kane, just to name three, they are a much higher level and much better form than they ever been in their career, really. Um, and you can even add rice to this. You can so this is surely their tournament. And I know the pressure will be there. And I know there are other really good teams, especially France, I guess, who are the other outstanding favorite for me. But really, this has to be England's tournament. I think France and England are, you know. I was going to say way ahead. I would put maybe Portugal just fractionally below them, and then there's quite a big jump to the to the next sort of group of uh, potential potential suitors. But if you just look, you look at the France team, it's so ridiculous that it's difficult to see past it. And it's a team that you know has uh, has had success uh, in the past, and England very much have not. Um, so in terms of actually winning things, there's been progression in terms of reaching the latter stages of of major tournaments, which didn't necessarily happen in the previous decade or so, and and now they've had. Uh, experience of that but they haven't gone on to win things and uh, it is it just feels like yeah now or never for uh, England given the insane talent they have but if you're asking me who I think is going to win I think it's I think it's France I think their their, their squad is just absolutely ridiculous and their their starting 11 is better than everyone else's I'm going to lean towards France as well because of the know-how obviously got to the World Cup final have you know won the Euros won the World Cup more recently England are in danger of being a Belgium the team of a generation that don't win anything. And yeah, I think that could be the case. I agree as well with everything you're saying. England on form, player for player, are the, I think, the most informed team and team should win it. But France are very, very good as well. And I'm going to say Germany as well. <laughs> what? I know. I've got to say Germany just because they're at home. And <laughs> All right. Well, I'll say I'm, Greece then. I feel sorry for them. Look, we've even yeah. gone back to Tony Cruz to get Tony Cruz back in the side, right? <laughs> and, uh, even though he's a really, really good player. Don't get me wrong, Phil. Phil, it's okay. I know he's a top class player. He's one of the best players in the world. He is a really, really good player. I know. Yeah. A really, really good player. One of the best players of all time. Why but he's still, you? the problem yeah. is with, with Germany is Nagelsmann is still trying to find a team he doesn't know what team he has he doesn't know what players to play he can't find it he doesn't know it's it's they're running out play of time Tony Cruz, obviously yeah. i know absolutely he's come out of retirement he's called him got on the phone and uh we'll see tony cruz at the the euros unless something dramatically happens certainly injury but let's hope he's there because germany certainly need him anyway thanks for listening to the optus sport football podcast remember you can watch every game in the j league where this weekend harry kuehl got a win in his first game as yokohama manager And as always, the Premier League and La Liga are both live and exclusive in Optus Sport. See you next time.